Welcome to Traversing the Darkness podcast, where witches unveil the darkness within. This is a wine and witchcraft production. And I am Dana, who is also known as the Shadow Moon Witch. I am joined by my awesome host, Justin. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. What are we talking about today, Justin? <laughs> so today we are going to be talking <laughs> about trauma and the connection that we have between trauma and our work with what we call dark goddesses. And I think this is going to be an interesting conversation. I, I mean, it's, uh, I don't know, if you watch my YouTube channel, you know that I love to talk about trauma and being triggered and everything else, just because I feel like it's cathartic to talk about it. Right. You and I both have a presence on our channels where we're very authentic and frank about these discussions. So I'm really hoping that we'll be able to transfer that here in this podcast for everybody as well. I agree. Um, so let's start off the conversation with talking about the connection between really trauma and witches. And what is that that connects us? Right. And you know, for me personally, I feel like uh, I've said this many times on my channel, but I, I feel like all of us are connected through trauma, whether okay. it's witchcraft or paganism or or any sort of religion. I feel like we're connected not just through our the practice of witchcraft, but through our trauma, because so many of us find witchcraft because of trauma. Right. And be that you come from a religious trauma or you have a death that brings you to this path or, you know, um, you just are trying to find yourself and dealing with depression or anxiety and you find that this path is healing. It seems like that's kind of a common denominator for all the people that have come to this path that usually there's a background of trauma. Agreed. And I also think it's a it, the trauma seems to be so humiliating in a way that makes you feel helpless and weak you know so much of us come come to witchcraft because of religious trauma and we want to feel empowered we want to feel significant we want to feel like we have a purpose and that we have a power in us that's really been denied to us our whole lives right i notice very common theme of this put me in the driver's seat. I mean, that's something that I actually thought myself um, or this make, gave me back my power or made me feel empowered. That is something that I've heard so much over the 20 some years I've been a witch now. And um, I just find it interesting that so many people have that same experience. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. it, it's very interesting to me. The, um, the weakness, not true weakness, but being broken down to the point where you feel like you have no choice but to be subservient. Mm -hmm. And I, I talked a lot on my channel about sovereignty as well, and just knowing who you are and claiming that. And I feel like witchcraft has just been such a reflective process. I don't know if you feel this way or if anybody else has this experience, but um, I often I often feel like it's almost a mirror because when you're practicing witchcraft, it's so tactile. You know, there's so many different tools and ways to practice. And I see parts of myself and the types of magic that I do. And then I start to question my intention, question my thought process in a, in a healthy way, in a way that I think has allowed me to elevate 
and process a lot of shit that I quite frankly haven't been processing. And I'm, you know, I'm fucking 35 and I'm just now trying to figure shit out. (laughs) Oh shit. I turn 37 next week and yeah, I'm still figuring my shit out. (laughs) Yeah. I I think I just came to the conclusion that I'm just not, I'm just not going to figure it out. Healing is linear. First of all, um, and I do think that you make a very good point with witchcraft kind of described as a mirror. Um, for instance, my first spell was actually me writing down. I was angry. I think I was angry at my parents and I wrote down everything that I was feeling. And then I took one of those um, old tin coffee cans, like the big tall ones, and I lit the fucker up and just burned it. And it was so cathartic. It was me first of all, purging those emotions in a healthy way, but then also taking back my power and really kind of getting all of that out of my head, but watching it light, like that's something that I still use to this day. I mean, one of the more recent examples is I came across something from someone who had hurt me and I was like, I don't want this anymore. So I just went outside and I burned it and I was like, yes, this feels so good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if you guys can hear that, but there's a plane flying overhead. So it, I'm, it's not Armageddon. It's just a plane. Um, just well, Ragnarok so, starting. It's I, fine. I, I, yeah, it's just, it's Thor. He's coming <laughs> to hammer me down. Um, <laughs> so that really leads us into, I, I really wanted to talk about um, the trauma that led us here. Like, let's just get down and dirty with it. The trauma that kind of led us to, to the craft. And um, I, I mean, I think I've talked publicly about it quite a bit, but maybe people don't know, but for me personally, it's, you know, the same old story. <laughs> Boy meets, you know, religion. Boy wants to die. Boy doesn't die. Boy likes penis. Boy's ridiculed that, you know, the, the age old story. <laughs> Um, but really growing up in that, uh, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Um, growing up in that environment was so detrimental and I feel like I'm still dealing with the ramifications of that. And I just kind of, I I think I've accepted the fact that the healing process is going to be lifelong and depending on the moment, the month, the year, I'll be at a different stage on that journey. And maybe it'll be 17 steps back. Maybe it'll be a hundred steps forward and that's, that's okay. Um, but you know, when you're younger and you're going through it and you're going through feeling like you're better off dead and you want to kill yourself and that everybody hates you and you're worried that your family isn't going to love you. Um, and that your life is going to be turned upside down. Like that scars you. And, you, and the indoctrination you, that you experienced. Yes. The, you know, the manipulation and the shame and the humiliation. That's those are lifelong, lifelong wounds. Absolutely. But, you know, I, I felt like for me, I, oh, you know, I'm 18. I'm married. I'm out of the house. I'm fine. I'm fine. And I, I lived in that place of ignorance, that place of kind of just denial And then as you get older, I don't know what it is. Something changes. I don't know if it's metabolically, if it's, you know, in your soul, something just makes you more aware of who you are and more aware of uh, the scars that you've been trying to hide. And you kind of just realize you have to face them. There's, There's no getting around it. 
but uh, getting out of that cult and that environment, you know, is really what led me to witchcraft. And there was this woman that I met at work. I worked at Sam's Club at the time and she introduced me to Wicca. And that kind of was just like a kid in a candy store. I was like, holy shit, this is real. This, I'm not crazy. I'd always had this like inclination for witchcraft. I'm a huge Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan. And, you know, I wanted to be Willow. I just was obsessed. You know, the craft, practical magic, you know, all the cliche stuff. Totally. Yeah. that, that, (laughs) That people like. And my aunt had introduced me to like tarot cards a couple times, but other than that, it wasn't until I was an adult and I met this woman and, you know, went down the whole Wicca train and eventually that you had led to YouTube and to her arrest, but that's a whole nother story. But um, all because of religious trauma, all, all because of that feeling that um, God doesn't love me and my family doesn't love me and everyone that I know in my life doesn't love me. Uh, there really is this kind of thing where when you feel like you have nothing left to lose, you become one of the most dangerous people to be around and you're self-destructive and you kind of just burn the town. I think you lose your humanity a little bit when things like that happen. And, And you, and even if it's not externally losing your humanity, you lose your humanity towards yourself and whether or not you are hurting other people, if you're hurting yourself, you're still hurting somebody. Right. So how about you? What what initially led you to the craft? So for me, it was being a 14-year-old with depression and not understanding what was happening to me. And, you know, coming from childhood abuse from both parents, physical and mental, and trying to deal with my parents' divorce, my mother's cancer diagnosis, um, and just reeling from depression and not understanding who I was, not fitting in in school. I didn't really fit the mold anywhere. Um, I was just this quiet little gothy artist kid that just didn't even seem to fit in with my own friends. And, you know, it wasn't long after that, that I was also kind of discovering that I was not straight and trying to understand that part of myself too, which we both have that component. Um, yeah. I just wasn't isn't it funny? Isn't it funny, even outside of the religion, the, um, cause you're, you're talking about depression and sexuality, isn't it crazy? The, how streamlined the feeling of isolation is between all of those things. Yep. Yeah. Which is something I look back on and I realize is such a huge thing for me that I, you know, my parents were pretty open and pretty, I mean, aside from the things that I went through as a kid with them, they, they still were very open-minded people. And I was raised in a very secular liberal household. And I'm also from one of the most liberal parts in the country. I'm from Seattle, Washington, and still, um, how that transferred being queer to me is that they just didn't really talk about it much. So when I started to feel this way, I just, I couldn't make sense of it. And so I felt isolated and I felt like I couldn't be myself. Or I wasn't like, I personally wasn't allowed to, everyone else around me was allowed to come out or be whatever they wanted to be. But that was not a place that was not a, a place that I belonged because it just was not something I was allowed to do or feel. And that's interesting to me that that's still 
happens even when you grow up in an environment that I did because it's so ingrained in our society or at least it was more so in the early 2000s, late 90s. Yeah, the hypocrisy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so for me coming, um, how I how my trauma connects to witchcraft is mostly trying to deal with depression and all of the things that I was carrying from my childhood and what was compounding with all of that. And I really needed a place where I could just be and take my own power back. And again, there's that theme again, but it was something that made sense to me. It was something that made me feel like I really could feel confident within myself, which as a 14 year old, <laughs> gothy, artistic, shy, queer kid, I couldn't make sense of who I was at all. And I needed something to make me feel empowered. And that's what this gave me. It's what it continues to give me. It, I also feel like it may, this is so, it, I don't know that it's stupid. It's just kind of childish to feel this way, but I, I feel like it makes me special and it doesn't, but, <laughs> <laughs> but growing up, in the manner in which I did, there's no, there's no identity. There's no, there's no self-identity, no self-worth. Everything that you are that's good is because of God. Everything yeah. that's good is because of God. It's a blessing. Not to you. Every, right. And everything that's wrong is a direct impact of your choices. So there's no, um, there's no self-worth, there's no self-confidence, there's no way of finding value in yourself at all. You're you're a servant of God and you're right. incapable of creating or achieving great things because if you do, it's only because of God. And, you know- Fuck, that makes my skin crawl. <laughs> it's, my face is on fire, honestly, because it's just- <laughs> It, it's not something I even realized then. It's not even something I really honestly realized five years ago, to be quite honest with you. And um, well, it's subtle indoctrination, you know, and especially if you're talking to a sensitive child, they're going to want to internalize all this just to please their elders and, you know, everybody around them, which that's, they just, they take it in and they just, they hold it tightly. <laughs> They do. And that, that's why I try to talk about trauma so much. And I'm so glad we're doing this podcast. Not that the whole podcast is about trauma, but, you know, it's traversing these darker things, these darker themes, and just us having a casual conversation about it. Because in our, in our community, just in the generalized witchcraft community, I don't think that there's enough people talking about it. It's all about practice, which I get. We're a witchcraft community. I get it. You know, you can hang me on the wall. I get it. But it goes deeper than that. We always talk about surface level and, you know, criticizing people with how flaky they are, how surface level or how just aesthetically they are pleasing or, you know, that whole conversation. But why aren't we talking about trauma? Like we're all here for a reason. 99.999% of us did not grow up in a witchy household. It's not something mm -hmm. we were taught. It, it's not something that's been passed down to us. It's something that we sought after and we came to this for a reason. And I think right. we all could do a lot of healing if we would just open up just a tiny bit more. Right. You know, the weird thing about 
because I'm now getting to the tail end of my 30s. And when you were mentioning earlier how it's just something that maybe happens as you get older, for me, my 30s has been the the entire time of my 30s has been me understanding my own shit, me not putting up with my own shit, and me facing my own shit. And it's just like, I think that that really translates into my path too, where I know what I need to deal with. I know for the most part, how I need to deal with it, be that mundane or magical, not talking about it through therapy or doing a spell on it. But it's it's more of me just not pretending anymore that I am okay. <laughs> Girl, don't even go there. The pretending, okay. Oh, the masking, yeah. The masking, the pretending, the living in a fantasy world in your mind and um, dissociation is just... It, you know, I literally, when I turned 30 and for the past five years, I've realized that I don't know who I am and I don't know who I am because I've been searching for some version of myself that doesn't exist Right. because Ooh, I've, I've, <laughs> I've been running from that little boy. I've been running from him my entire life, trying to erase it, trying to forget it and you can't just, that's not the healthy way to deal with trauma, to deal with grief. You have to face it. And I feel like my thirties are the first time in my life where, like you said, I'm actually analyzing how I actually feel. How, how do I feel about the world? How do I feel about myself? How do I feel about my choices? Not looking at my choices and myself through rose colored lenses, but actually looking at my own fuck ups and how I've yeah. kind of fed into these wounds. Um, it's God, the thirties the are fucked. I'm just saying, I mean, it's good. It's not bad, but it's just very eye opening when you spend so much time pretending and then twenties are like high school 2.0. Oh my God, <laughs> girl, it is. It's just like, everything's oh, fine. It's, it's just, you know, put that, in a box, lock it up, throw away the key. And, you know, we don't have to deal with that again. I, I don't have to deal with those feelings again. And it's like, you get in your thirties and it's like, well, damn fuck. What the fuck right. have I been doing? Like, really, what have I been doing? And I feel like it seems as though the universe tends to throw people a huge, like throw a huge wrench in your life in the thirties. Um, be it, a loss or trauma or something major that happens that makes you really going to look at your life and be like, whoa, I need to figure some stuff out. And it's really clear that I have not processed a lot of this. And it's very clear that it's affecting who I am fundamentally, but also I'm bleeding all over everybody else. And this isn't okay. And you either realize that or you don't. And then you just continue to go on pretending it's okay. And it just rots and consumes you. Yeah. And that's why we have, you know, our parents' generation, where a lot of them are pretty fucking unhealthy. <laughs> so, <laughs> absolutely, and it's tr it's true that life throws you a wrench. I mean, I know for me, um, I, really, my wake up call in a lot of ways was the death of my son. Was, I was trying to remember if you were in your thirties, white, or just close to it when that happened. Because I had that revelation. Yeah, just barely. Um, He's been gone for four years, so I was 31. Um, 
his his death was transformative in ways that I wasn't really expecting. And I I mean, when Peyton died, I was out of the game for a long time, for years, as far as practicing witchcraft or any sort of spirituality at all. And when he died, um, I don't know, there was this cosmic shift in my view of the world, not necessarily a negative one, but a realization that a realization that pretending my way through life wouldn't stop me from death. I kind of felt like in my imagination and in my mind, I know this sounds crazy, but um, one way that I process trauma is by dissociation or um, kind of daydreaming is, is I just kind of go to this place and I fantasize about stupid stuff, just crazy stuff. And I lived a lot of my life like that when traumatic things would happen or I'd be triggered mentally, I would just kind of escape to a paradise just somewhere else Mm -hmm. and live in fantasies of grandeur of how my life would be knowing very well that it wouldn't. And instead of pursuing realistic goals, I just lived in a fantasy. And when Peyton died, you know, that's really the door closing, like, hello. And I've dealt with death before, but there was this cosmic shift that I couldn't, I couldn't ignore anymore because something so valuable to me was gone. And I'd never experienced that before. And I was like, okay, who am I? Number one, what am I doing? And what, what is my purpose? I've had all these dreams and things I want to pursue and I never, decide to do it. I never take the leap. I never take initiative. I'm just coasting through this life. And then it becomes questions of, of everything, my view of the world. Am I happy in my relationship? Am I happy with my own choices in life? So it, it became very reflective. And through his death, it was like a natural progression back to the craft because For those of you who don't know, my son was born with a lot of medical issues, open heart surgeries. He had a trach. He was on a ventilator, full-time care, and he lived at home. So it was a lot, right? There was no time, no control really over any situation. And when he passed away, it was kind of like coming out of a religious cult again, like needing that control over something. Okay, I can do something. I can get a candle. I can, I can, yes, I can do a ritual. I can do a spell. I can, I can do this. I can't do that. I can't save him. I can't bring him back, but I can do this. Um, so it was this very triggering, but cathartic process, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's interesting you mentioned the age that you were. Um, when Peyton passed, because I had just turned 32 when my mother died. And it will be five years this March. So I think those deaths were pretty close together. Um, but, and it's the same situation where I had dealt with loss before. Um, one that impacted me tremendously was my grandfather, but it was, my grandfather was kind of a more expected loss. Um, he had been battling cancer for years and passed at 79. 
did I think that I was going to have him in my life longer than this? Yes, absolutely. But at the same time, I wasn't terribly surprised. Um, not to say that it lessened the blow in me because nothing prepares you for this. But my mother, my mother, she had been battling cancer on and off for years and she was only 62 when she died. And it was very quick. Um, it was suddenly, it's suddenly she's worse and much, much worse to the point where she doesn't even really know who she is. And all of this escalated in just a few months and she was gone by March. And we had first started to notice the signs of her being sick in, um, on Thanksgiving. So it That's, was quick. That is quick. Yeah. And it was to a point where, you know, she just, it was everywhere. There was no way, nothing that my brothers and I could do. And it, uh, it's hard to watch your parent go through that, even if, you know, there's things that they've done that have screwed up, screwed you up, messed up your life. Um, there's trauma that you carry from your childhood or whatever. Regardless, I still loved my mother and she was an amazing person. Emotionally, um, she was always very, she was there for me. I mean, she listened to anything I had to say and she was very supportive. So it's kind of hard to like be a mother of two young kids. My sons were three and one when she died. And I don't, I find myself not knowing how to be a mom without her. I would call her in those early days of having them and just be like, what, what the fuck am I doing? Like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. And she would just encourage me. But when she passed, I had a lot of situations that happened that going like the day, the night before she died, leading up to when she passed that were just crazy and it was a lot of synchronicities all these weird things that made it so that i ended up being one that was alone with her when she passed um i had a visitation from my grandfather the night before basically telling me that this was going to happen in his own way and as soon as she passed and it it all played out the way that it did i ended up telling her that i needed her to go to him because i knew that he was waiting for her because that's what he told me um and after that, my craft just ramped up even more so. I mean, I was in um, more so than I'm pretty sure you were at that point in time when Peyton passed. But it was like something like the universe just started shaking me and was just like, wait up. This is a big one. This is a big loss. And you're going to spend a long time recovering from it. And you're going to have to try and figure out how to love yourself the way that she loved you. And that was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Well, it's it's interesting you talk about the synchronicities before your mom passed away because I don't think I've ever talked about this, but the night, so the night Peyton passed away, um, we were supposed to have a nurse that night and the nurse didn't show up. So when a nurse didn't show up, Rachel and I would switch off. So, you know, if one doesn't come one night, she would watch him. The next night I would watch him, you know, whatever. But by this time, Peyton wasn't on a ventilator anymore. He he was breathing on his own. You know, by all intensive purposes, he was improving. He had had heart surgery. He was learning how to walk. He was starting to eat by mouth. Like all things he wasn't able to do before. Um, And it was the first time in probably three years I had this um sense of knowing i don't know like what the term for it would be 
Yes. And so so she laid on the couch and his, his, so his crib and all of his medical equipment were in our, our dining room. And it, it it was open concept between the kitchen and the living room and the dining area. So he was set up in the dining area so that we could have all his stuff in there. And it was easy for, you know, nurses and medical staff to come in and out rather than having him in a bedroom. And, um, so I laid down in bed and something just told, I didn't listen to it, but I knew he was going to die. I, I yeah, don't know how. My mom. I don't know how. I don't know why. And I, uh, I didn't listen to it because I had had that fear for a year and a half almost. Well, more than a year and a half that he, that he was going to die. So right. it was this, it was this thought that was kind of always there. Um, but that night was different, but I just chose to ignore it. Right. Um, and I'm not somebody who, I'm not the type of person who lives in coulda, shoulda, woulda. That's just not my personality. That's not my, my personality type. My wife is different, but I'm not like that, you know, because in, in my view, he's gone. It doesn't matter if, you know, in my mind, if I listen to it, it would he still be alive? Well, it's irrelevant because he's not. Like that's how I process that. It's probably just a defense mechanism, but you know, that's that's what it is. But um, I found that after you know that morning when Rachel woke me up with what was happening, I I I knew as soon as she woke, I knew. I just knew. Yeah. Um, but it's 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 weird how something so I guess it's not weird. Something so big, so significant, a, the lo- the loss of a life reignites some things, you know, communicates that information to you that you, you don't seem to get any other time. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes we just, we really need to get knocked on our ass. And that's I, just the reality of it. It is the reality of it. And also going back to what you were saying about your mom, Rachel feels that same way too, because her, her mom passed away six, six months after Peyton. Wow. And she lived, she lived with us as well. So we went through, we had a lot of, a lot of death around us. I, I made a lot of people uncomfortable because I told everybody I was the angel of death because Peyton died. My mother-in-law died and then my grandfather died. But um, Rachel feels the same way without her mom. She's like, you know, I just want to be able to talk to my mom. Like I feel lost sometimes in being a mother and being a wife and being just, you know, there's a connection between mother and daughter that's not often talked about. It's always, you know, daddy's little girl and, you know, that whole archetype, which I don't have an issue with, but there's a special connection between mother and daughter and Mm -hmm. sharing of motherhood. There there's, there's, there's something there. There's magic there. And yeah, she, she she feels that that same way as you do. It's 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 a void that just doesn't seem to go away. Yeah, like I still pick up my phone even almost five years later, and I'm like, I'm gonna call her and tell her something, and it's like I I can't, and it's usually has to do with my sons. Um, like oh, they did this today, and you know they're eight and almost six now, and it's just she's not she loved them so fiercely she's not gonna see them grow up and that's heartbreaking and i know rachel feels the same she does she does and you know uh, her her mom lived with us 
you know, was there when Penelope was born. She had a lot of medical issues too. And she, her her mother had the blessing of being able to choose to say, you know, she had had enough. She was on peritoneal dialysis and was basically hooked up to a machine 24 seven. She, yeah. she really couldn't live. Um, and she told me and gave me the big responsibility that I was honored by. And she, she, I was the first person she told that she was ready to stop and wanted to make arrangements. And I advocated for her, you know, that's, yeah, that's your great. choice. And yeah, that's, um, that's what she wants. That's what she wants. And she's a grown woman and she should be able to make this decision. And she, she told me, um, I was just waiting for you to get done with x-ray school. And now that you're done, I'm done. And that, okay. Um, so, you know, it's the process of death is traumatic and transformative and magical in a way. I know some people will probably be offended by that, but it is. And it is. all of this death that I've experienced in such a short period of time has made me realize things about myself being around all of this death in such a short period of time has really made me learn a lot about myself and really accept the process of death and that life and death go hand in hand. And that's just the way that life is. And when my grandfather died, talking about trauma, we had a, a horrible relationship. We didn't get along. Um, he was a great grandfather to my cousins, but he... He didn't like me. I don't know that he loved me. I, I can't say for sure. But he said some terrible things about me, some terrible things about Peyton. Uh, oh. Things things that I just, it's not that I, I, if I'm being honest, it's not that I can't forgive. It's that I won't. Yeah. It's that I'm and not you don't willing. No. Even with him being passed, you don't owe him that. No. And, and it's one of those things where every time I think about him, I always hear the song, from the Dixie Chicks, I'm not ready to make nice. And that just is precisely how I feel. Like, I'm just not ready to make nice with you. I'm not ready to be okay with you. Um, but, you know, he he had cancer. He had multiple myeloma. And on his deathbed, I was there. He went into Moffitt Cancer Center, quickly declining after about four years of dealing with this. And my, my cousin, she's a nurse, me and her stayed there with my mom and her mom. And we took care of him. We went with him to hospice. We advocated for everything. And I held his hand when he died. And I felt such a sense of relief. I didn't realize how much anger, how much sadness, how much hatred I had for myself that I had put in him. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And yep. when he died, I just started bawling. And you know, everybody's crying, and and uh, we left. And Rachel's like, "I I'm kind of surprised you cried." And I said, "I am so glad he's dead." Yeah, that was such an extraordinary feeling of release. I feel an immense amount of sadness for my family, for my mom, her sisters, my cousins, because they lost somebody that they loved. Yeah. But, but for me, it's different for you. Yeah, it was so cathartic. And I felt like a blockade in my life between parts of my family and me ended. 
And it wound up being true. There was a lot of anger and resentment and hostility that he infused into the family. And once he died, those aspects started to go away. Right. You know, and you being able to connect with my grandmother in a way that I never felt I could before. Um, right. Trauma. And I think, <laughs> you know, I think that it's like people need to talk about that a little bit more. I think it's okay to not feel sadness when someone has passed, even if they are family, if they have been cruel to you. And I think it's okay to have a complicated relationship with someone passing when you have a mixed um, mixed bag of stuff. For instance, like my mother and I, I loved her dearly. But yeah, I felt some relief when she died too. And it, it yeah. sucked. It, it was painful. I felt like a terrible daughter, but there's just things that she put me through that I knew I, I would never have to deal with again. And yeah. I was yeah. relieved at that. And it's that's complicated. Okay. It's so complicated. Yeah, it is complicated. It is, and grief is complicated. It is not the seven stages of grief. That, those stages constantly go in a circle. They can slam you all at once. They can slam you two at a time. They can come on like a wave. I I started crying over my mother because I saw like laundry detergent that she used or something ridiculous. It was it's just like I didn't expect suddenly just to be hit with this wave of grief because I, I'm standing in Costco in the laundry detergent aisle. And yeah, just, you know it's we don't talk about how this doesn't ever make sense, and that's okay that it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, and I I 100% agree with you on how we feel about the dead, you know, people would tell me, you know, you don't, don't, don't talk ill of the dead. Why? I talked bad about him when he was alive. Not, like <laughs> I, I don't, I, that's not something I stand behind in the yeah, sense I'm of. I'm just talking about your frankness because <laughs> I love it. That's why we're know, here. <laughs> exactly. It's like, what? no, like I, I get that he's dead and I, I do hope that he's at peace, but I'm still alive and I'm still carrying the wounds and I'm still carrying the trauma. Don't tell me don't speak ill of the dead. Don't negate my experience, the experience of the living to spare the dead. I'm sorry. Exactly. I think that's bullshit. Yeah. No, you're the one that's still in the thick of it. And they are who knows where, because we don't honestly know. Yes, we carry our beliefs, but maybe they are in a better place and everything's cool. We're the ones that are sitting here in hell, essentially, just trying to navigate through what is this crazy world and you know it's um perfect example like my mother's parents are gone um and they are the ones that i like just adored my father's parents are still with us uh, my grandmother is amazing but my paternal grandfather i've never cared for he is a terrible human being and recently i was having a conversation with my grandmother on the phone she's in her early 90s she said something about how she never loved him. They're not together. They haven't been my whole life. Just a little background. But uh, he was never good to her. And I know that. And she said something like, I never loved your grandfather. And then said, I'm sorry to tell you that. And I just responded with, actually, Grandma, I never loved him either. And she was like, Thanks, thank God there's someone else in the family that feels the way that I do. Yeah. <laughs> and when I mean, he dies, I'm not going to feel anything. Yeah. I mean, that, talking about the complicated, complicated emotions of a dying loved one. Oh God. You know, I felt a lot of guilt. Oh Lord. Um, I felt a lot of guilt after Peyton died. Um, not regret, you know, obviously maybe there's cho different choices I could have made, but 
going down that road is a dangerous one because it it, it doesn't provide any healing, right? And so it, I, you. it does consume you. But I I felt guilt because I I also felt not in the same way as I did for my grandfather, but I I felt a sense of relief because um, he Peyton was born at 30 weeks, 31 weeks, and never came home for seven months. He was in the hospital for seven months, numerous procedures, surgeries, you know, like I said, the ventilator was breathing for him. He couldn't eat by mouth. He had a feeding tube, the whole, th- like anything that could go wrong went wrong. We lived there. Yeah. We, we ate, we breathed, we shit Peyton. That, that, that was it. It was a full-time job for me, Rachel and a nurse. And when he passed away, there was a quiet in my life that I had forgotten about. And I, I didn't realize how much stress and anxiety I was under. I didn't realize how much my hair was falling out, how exhausted we all were and trips to the ER and medevacs here and ambulance rides there, private jets to Massachusetts. And I felt a guilt for feeling a sense of relief while still feeling an immense amount of sadness and pain that he was dead. It was this weird, unable to understand cycle of emotions that seemed to contradict each other, but I felt them simultaneously, right. uh, but you know, it's just it. It was all riddled with guilt because it's like, exactly. why am I, why, why am I really? I shouldn't feel relief, and uh, you know, I, I came to the realization after a while that it, it wasn't relief that he was that he was dead. It was a relief of the ending of all of the other stuff that came with him, you know, and I, yeah. I always, I always call him my little tornado because that's, that's what he was. He came in and, you know, each of my kids taught me something being born. Mm-hmm. Penelope taught me love. It was the first time I ever truly felt love was when I saw her, I just felt love mm-hmm. um, for the first time truly in my life. And Peyton taught me strength and perseverance, things that I thought I had. And then he came in and showed me, I had a lot of work to do. Um, you know, so they they both taught me something, but uh, man, the trauma and the grief and nobody tells you about these contradicting feelings that you have simultaneously. No, yeah. no one tells you that. It's just like, oh, your parent dies, you're sad. It's like, it's so much more fucking complicated than that when your parent dies or your grandfather or your child. Like, it's so complicated and nobody seems to get it and you feel so isolated and it feels like everybody's moving on with their life and you're just stuck in this place. It's 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 insane. I, um, I did want to do one quick relation um comment to yeah what you guys went through with Peyton um only because I I no, don't know to the extent of what you guys went through because that is a whole nother level but my oldest was born a month early very suddenly and he's my first kid I had no idea what I was doing and he spent a month in the NICU and that like Abe and I we lived at the hospital every day and it just everything was him trying to figure out what Mm -hmm. we were doing. I cried every single day trying to figure out 
if my baby was going to come home. And they didn't prepare me for any of it. They did not say that he was going to have NICU time until after he came out. And they said, we're taking him to the NICU. I didn't even get to hold him. So, you know, um, I do understand the living and breathing that life of trying to figure out what's going on with your kid. And, you know, for any parent who's been through that, for any parent that has a kid that is currently in the hospital, if they're very sick, oh, our hearts go out to you. <laughs> Yeah, because it's a bitch. I mean, it takes it takes strength to do unbelievable to, to get strength. through it. Yeah. yeah. All right, guys. We are going to be talking about ancestors and more trauma and dark goddesses on the next episode of Traversing the Darkness. So we will see you then.